0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the neighborhood church. We pray that you be blessed by it.
1: Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. So I'm going to read it to you out of the New American Standard Version. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So we're going to take 30 minutes or so and just chat about this portion. If we run out of things to say after five minutes, I guess we'll take five minutes and you'll get an extra long, long weekend. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I think you were the one who answered the question. Dr. Martini, what version is the best, or what version should I study out of? And I think your answer was three versions. So, I think that was you. So I brought three versions up here so I could look like I'm in submission to his authority, his governing leadership as president of Horizon College and Seminary. So uh, three, uh, three versions up here that I may refer to a little bit. So I just read, I just read these seven verses, Romans chapter 13, and I'd kind of like to hear from each of you in terms of you've studied this, you've read it, you've looked at it the last few days, and when you talk, pick up a mic to talk out of. But um, what's the big idea here? What's the main thing? What is, what in your judgment is Paul saying to us? Now, mm-hmm. well, the smart thing would be to have Dr. Martini start, and then you, we all just, yeah, that, yeah, he's right. But we'll do it the opposite way, and uh, he can be the corrector instead. So. <laughs> Dig in there, Alyssa. Tell us, tell us what you
2: saw. So maybe not one of the main points that, uh, like, stuck out to me, uh, but more so for context, um, because I think when I first read this, I was like, oof, you know, like, it kind of just, like, hit me like a brick wall, but um, just thinking about Paul's time, like, when he's writing this, like, I um, believe Nero was the emperor of Rome at the time, and if you know anything about Nero, he's kind of considered, like, the first persecutor of Christians, I believe. Um, I believe he's the one who was burning Christians in his garden. (laughs) Um, And also in Rome at the time, too, I think there had been some tax um, revolts and, like, just um, other people in Rome at this time were kind of, like, not submitting to the government. And so Paul comes in here and says, no, like, this is given to you by God. Um, Be subject to it. Um, Pay your taxes, right? Because there had been other stuff going on. And so I think when we think of our own government, like, and it's hard for us to read, it's like, okay, how much more back then would it have been tough to subject themselves to a government who was intent on persecuting them? So not a big main idea, but just for some context, I think, is important for us to consider.
1: Logan.
3: Okay. <laughs> well, Alyssa, that is really good to understand the context um, of the passage. and. The first thing when Pastor John asked me to do this passage, I was like, oh, that's a scary one to tackle because this is a bit of a tough passage to handle. Um, So the first thing that I did was I kind of just read the passage over three or four times, and I noticed a word or a variation of the word that stood out a lot, and that was authority, at least in the NIV translation. And so I used my Bible College training and decided, well, what did that word mean back then? And does it translate to what it means today? And the answer is the translations are almost identical. Um, The Bible would talk about it being this authority as the power or right to control. And then when I looked at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says the power or right to give orders slash make decisions. And so I think that's really um, the start of the foundation of the passage here is Paul is saying that God has given these people the ability to command us and make decisions for us through Him and with Him, and so we have to submit to that, whether we may necessarily not always agree with it or not. And so I think Paul is just really enforcing that idea that um, there are people who just have authority over you, and that will always happen, you know, whether you're a parent, pastor, teacher child, whatever. There's always somebody with authority above you. and you need, We just need to know that we need to submit to them.
1: Dr. Martini,
4: what, what would you add? <laughs> yeah, I think I would pick up sort of where Alyssa started and say that the context in this really matters because if we take it at face value, it looks like if this was the only passage that talked about how Christians were to relate to government, then it would seem really straightforward and we'd say, hey, yeah, of course... There's authorities, and we need to always submit, and everything will be really good. Where it's where it's a bit challenging is that if it doesn't outright contradict, it certainly is in tension with what Paul says virtually everywhere everywhere else, and with what Jesus says everywhere else. So, um, I think picking up what the, Alyssa said, um, you know, you've got this, you've got this passage where uh, you've got followers of Jesus who are being instructed to submit to the ruling authorities, the Romans, written to Rome, written to the people in Rome, and, uh, and Paul is saying, submit to these authorities. And I think, um, and ultimately, sort of ironically, if we're going to frame it in, I mean, Paul says in verse 2 here, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed um, and will incur judgment. And then he goes on at verse 3 and says, if you don't want to fear, uh, then do what's good, and uh, and it's going to work out. And we can say, okay, well, there's a promise. So the, the irony with that is that within about four years of Paul writing that, Paul doing good is about to lose his head off of his shoulders by these same authorities. And then for the next 300 years after this, Christians are going to continually lose to, you know, losing their heads, being nailed to crosses, be thrown in the uh, arenas and torn apart, so, uh, so there's this sort of, we need to kind of frame it in with this idea, so there's what Paul is saying, and then there's something behind what Paul is saying that maybe he's not saying but is saying, and so… Yeah, um, we need to dig, dig a little bit deeper, I think, with this passage.
1: And not disagreeing what, with where we're going here, but the thing that struck me this afternoon, which is kind of the counterbalance to this, and I'd like a little interaction with this, is I, I was looking at verse 1 this afternoon, and chapter 13 isn't a new book. Chapter 13 isn't something new starting here. We, we. I think you know. There's 12 chapters before. We've been spending quite a bit of time in it. And chapter 12, verse 1 starts with this statement. Uh, well, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. So I'm thinking here, he's saying, don't be like the world. And I'm wondering if he's in 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 presenting this, he's trying to bring some. Understanding to you also don't completely ignore the world. You're living in a world with governmental assist, governmental authority. Um, don't go too haywire on this idea. I'm completely independent. I don't need to listen to any of them. I, I think there's some balance here. Some pastor keeps saying the truth is in the tension. <laughs> any comments there or? Yeah, um...
2: I think. Whoa, hello. Um, You might be, well, I think you are right um, about these Roman Christians um, resisting the government um, based on a false kind of understanding of what the good news means. Um, They might think that, um, let's see, what do I have here? Yeah, that no longer copying the behaviors and patterns of the world like Paul had written in the chapter before was licensed to um, participate in a revolt, um, which is like Dr. Martini said, just counter to everything else that Paul or Jesus had said. Um, You can look in Matthew 17 and Matthew 22, and I'm sure in other places in the gospel where Jesus actually says, no, we're paying our taxes. Um, I think it's Matthew uh, 22 where he tells Peter, go fish, and in the fish you'll find a coin and then pay our taxes for us. Um, So part of transformed living and thinking is submitting and subjecting yourself to the authorities that have been established because they are from God. Um, Yeah.
1: This gets really difficult for me. I'm trying to teach a church how to live like a Christian. And so I I read this and be subject, subject yourselves, be in submission to governing authorities. And then you go to Acts and the governing authorities have told the Christians they're never to speak any longer in the name of Jesus. Keep your mouths quiet. And what's their response there? Verse 18, uh, At verse 19, uh, chapter 4, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed heed to you rather than God, You be the judge. We're not going to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. So they very, very clearly say, well, you're telling us what to do, but we're not going to do it. So this gets really tough for me, (laughs) tough for us. Like, when do you obey? When don't you obey? How do you know
4: that? What are the exceptions? Are there
1: exceptions?
4: So I I would suggest one of the biggest challenges we have with this passage is that it wasn't written for us in our context, um, and immediately. It's written for Christians today all over the world. Uh, but in our context, where we have a government that at most inconveniences us, and I heard recently a sermon that was, it was really good, and they said, you know, the, lack, the, the absence of privilege is not persecution. And that really stuck with me. Uh, for us, the, the most persecution that we face is... You know, maybe we maybe we'll lose our ability to get our taxes back when we give to our church, as though that is some sort of inalienable right that we should get taxes back by supporting our place of faith. You know, it's it's that's not that's not persecution. That's a loss that's, of privilege. That's, that's a great line. The absence of that's Dale Dirksen, anyway. Um, uh, the absence of privilege is not yeah, the, or the law. Lo- the loss of privilege. You know, um, is not the same as persecution, and that's that's the most we face. But if you go throughout the world today, uh, all over the place, it's it's not that way. I mean, we had, you know, we've had people here at the church sharing about uh, about their persecutions. We have people that are here from places we're, we're trained up in Canada and the U.S. You know, from the little age, the policeman is your friend. Uh, in a lot of countries, the policeman is not your friend. You. You are afraid of the policeman because he is going to use his authority and his, his power. And that's the way it is. You know, we're seeing that particularly in the U.S. as well, racially and things like that. But this is a reality, right, that, that is faced throughout the world. And it was certainly a reality in Paul's world. The government was not your friend. Uh, and just framing it in, just to remember, the founder of the movement that Paul is part of got nailed to a Roman cross not that many years before with signs above his head that said, King of the Jews, which is a political statement. Jesus was crucified because he was positioned to be a threat to Rome, and that's how Rome handled threats to Rome. They crucified you, or if you were a citizen, they chopped your head off. Already by the time Paul's written this, the Jews had twice been kicked out of Rome, so Forty years earlier, they had they had been kicked out once because they had been seen to be disruptive, and then just a few years prior to this, they had been kicked out again. Uh, you see that in Acts chapter 18, Paul runs into Priscilla and Aquila because they had been expelled from Rome, and then we know from a secular source they even say they were the Jews were expelled that time because of a man named Christus, which we would take as as Christ. But so there's this whole history of governmental interference and so i think the big idea that paul's got here is the same thing that we find in other places in the new testament when it comes to this very tiny faith operating in a hostile environment operate in such a way that you don't provoke unnecessarily some sort of negative reaction from the government so even in a place like first timothy 2 which is where we say this is why we pray for our leaders it says pray for your leaders Uh, your political leaders, but the rest of the verse goes on to say, why? Pray for them so that we might meet in peace. We might be assembling in peace because that's not a guarantee that we're going to be able to assemble in peace. So I think what Paul's, the main idea here that Paul is after goes back to chapter 12. Those few verses that lead into this are the ones that I think unpack this where he says, as much as it's in your power, live at peace with everybody. And then he's going to go on and say, this is what this looks like. Pay your taxes, Jesus said. Pay your. No, I'm talking too much. I'll be quiet. So, I don't know if you're talking too much, but
1: I'll uh, I'll jump in here. Um, so the gov- the authorities that are there are ordained by God, and in the natural realm, we look at this story you talked about, the founder of this movement that Paul is following, Christ was crucified under their authority, but that authority was placed there by God, and we'd be in big trouble if that hadn't happened. So sometimes we're rebelling against things that are part of God's overall plan, too. So not everything we call bad is bad. Sometimes what we call bad is good. But you don't want to go down that money trail, but that's what I thought of. So you've got something to say, I can tell.
2: Uh, yeah. Um, just thinking about what these guys have been saying, um, I think it's important to remember, too, uh, like what our ultimate allegiance is, right? Um, so we obey God first and foremost, and then wherein the established governments and authorities conform to what we would typically do as obedience to God, we can conform with what, right? But... In the instance um, where they're asking us to deviate from that type of allegiance, um, I think it's important for us to remember recognize that, no, the allegiance is to God. Um, and so, yeah, paying your taxes isn't a bad thing. And actually, for us, it's usually a good thing when we get our taxes back and whatever. Um, And I just, um, as Dr. Martini was sharing, it just reminded me of 1 Peter um, 2, and Peter says to be subject um, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Um, So there's just this like balance, I think, of Um, We do good to live in peace um, with the world that we're a part of but not in. Um, And it's for the Lord's sake, too, that his glory, I think, might be demonstrated um, and people come to the kingdom because of that. And it's also for our sake, too, because we don't use that freedom as a cover-up for evil. And um, Paul says that in here, too, um, that it's about our conscience as well, that we obey God. The authorities and governments um, so that we might not sin against god right like our consciousness uh in this passage i think is a little bit broader than we might assume originally it refers to our consciousness of god and his will for us and so we know that god is explicitly asking us to um, be subject and to obey our government and when we don't just because we don't want to or whatever it's actually sin um, which doesn't reflect god's glory
1: so, as I was looking at this, um, almost every version I read used the word subject, subject or submission here. The only one I could find that didn't use submission was J.B. Phillips, where he says, every Christian ought to obey the civil authorities. Is there a difference between obedience and submission?
3: Yeah. <clears throat> and that was something I was going to say a note on is I think that we have to remember that I think there is a big difference between submission and complete and utter obedience to something. Um, so like, you know, as a child, you, ha- you obey your parents. So it's like, that's a commandment, right? And you have utter faith in them. And, you know, we look at, we keep going back to Timothy. Um, we have to remember that um, there's a the, there's the passage about the wives having to submit to their husbands. And I know this is kind of controversial, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to like it when I'm done with it, I promise. Um, and so we all struggle with that verse, just what, what, like what, we
1: struggle what, what with this. What if I don't like it? What do I get? You get to speak
4: again. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, you get okay. to speak again. Okay. Um, but, um,. And so Paul says that they have to submit, wives have to submit to their husbands, but something that we don't always look at is the fact um, that the husband was ordained by God to be the leader of the household, and that's why wives have to submit to their husbands. It's not that they have complete and utter obedience to what the husband demands from her or anything like that. It's not that she can't make her own choices or anything like that, it's that she has to submit and recognize that God has anointed him to be the head of the household, and that same thing goes for the leaders of today. God has appointed them to lead, and we have to submit to that and understand that. And I mean, like, let's be real, we have to have grace for our leaders too. We're all human, we all make mistakes, we've all done something we've regretted, and that's what I think we we're talking about, you know, when we have to pray for our leaders and everything. Leadership is this huge mantle we have to take up, and there's accountability. And I think that's where our part as the congregation plays in is like we have to hold our leaders accountable, and that can be through prayer.
4: Go for it, Doctor. I don't, don't want to. I'm not even going to touch the uh, the woman and man thing. <laughs> we, we might not be quite on the same page there, but, um, but. Um... I I just hope my wife heard it. <laughs> I think, so let me just problematize it a little bit because I think you kind of blended into talking about Christian leaders and things like that. So, again, Rome has not got the best interest of the church in mind, and Paul is going to become decapitated very shortly. Um, This passage has been used, was used by the Nazis in World War II to justify why all those Lutheran Christians need to support. Uh, the, the church. It was used in South Africa to support apartheid. It has been used by every political regime that has ever, that has a Christian audience to justify why you don't question the state. And so I, I don't think that that's necessarily what, what's going on there, that we, it, it's, not, it's not just, well, we hope that, that Prime Minister Trudeau will be nice to, you know. It's and, a little bit different, and it, and it has been and continues to be used you know, in ways that are a little more life and death than, than maybe we, we give it credit for. And it's been
1: used by lots of husbands who want their wives to submit to them rather than love
4: them. Right, yeah, because there's a, more to that passage. But um, we're not going to go on the husband and wife one. <laughs> That's, that's too dangerous. <laughs> this is already a dangerous passage, Luke. <laughs> just got to mix it up a little I uh, I would throw out just, I think the, the key to understanding this passage, outside of the historical context, comes in what Paul says before and after it. So he starts out in chapter 12, as you noted, don't be conformed to the world, and he's talking all to the church, church, church. And then um, around verse 12, uh, Verse 17, he starts shifting focus, and it looks like he's starting to look outside the church. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. It's the same word for bad or evil that occurs down in 13. But, um, wherever it is, but take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so long as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, which I think is the governing verse there. Never avenge yourself. So now we're getting outside the church here. Never avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God. Uh, For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Know if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you heap burning coals on their heads. In other words, it's not up to you to take on Rome. It's not up to you to participate in because shortly after this in Jerusalem, they're going to have a siege, and the temple is going to be destroyed. Like, there's a lot of stuff in the air. There's a lot of anti-Roman sentiment in the air. And Paul is saying, don't participate in that, followers of Jesus. This is how you do this. You, if your enemy is thirsty, you give them something to drink. This is the counter-cultural way. This is non-conforming to the world. How you treat your enemies is you feed them and you give them water. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there's that evil good, evil good again. And when Paul says then, again in verse 3 of chapter 13, um, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. What is he saying there? Well, he just said what good conduct is. Good conduct gives food to your enemy. Good conduct gives water to your enemy. bad conduct doesn't do that so he's kind of set the terms for for what that looks like and god has put these powers in order by which i think he means um like he's established these powers these authorities which is to say that god doesn't have a chaotic world but he has these powers it doesn't mean that he endorses their activity but he is these powers are in existence um and basically he he says it in multiple other contexts as well look if you're a slave don't seek to be not a slave. If you're not married, don't seek to be married, because the end is coming. This is temporary. And that was, this is temporary, which he goes on, if you keep going in chapter 13 down to verse verse 11, besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The expectation was that this world, the form of this world, as he said in chapter 12, is passing away. This is not real reality. Live in unhappy circumstances in a way that is good, in a way that feeds your enemy, because the end is coming and something else is coming. And that was Jesus when he said to pay taxes. Can I do that one? Or talking too much. Well,
1: let's see if the audience has any questions. First of all, anything come, anything come in?
0: Yeah, I've got a few. Are you ready for it?
1: Yeah, give us one.
0: Okay. Um, how do we deal with the corruption of legitimate authority when submission will allow injustice to be inflicted upon others? Example, the assumption of dictatorial authority within a local church where the typical response is to leave quietly to keep the peace, rather than protest the abuse of the positional authority?
1: Who wants to dive in there?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you want me to repeat the question? Just because that was the example. No? Okay.
4: I think this is speaking about secular authorities, not church authority. I think there's different... I think what Logan said about holding your leaders to account um, factors within the household of believers in a way that it isn't possible to take into account here when you're dealing with Rome. So there is an expectation of, of testing the spirits, of praying for, being supportive of leadership, but I think within the household of faith, there's, there's a level of brotherhood and sisterhood and equality that demands that we're always in love, to be spurring one another to good, and and that includes our leaders and everybody else, but that would be my initial take. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I'll come back to you. You you ask difficult questions. So you want to talk about
4: taxes? Just quickly, because I think that this tax thing that Paul, I think this is one of the few places where Paul might be referring to actual teachings of Jesus, which isn't very often. And, and when Jesus got asked about the taxes, do you pay taxes or not, it was really a, it was a trap that was being set for him. Because if Jesus said to this, to this group assembled when they asked him, uh, yeah, pay taxes, then all these people that were following him, they were following him because they thought that he was going to liberate the Jews from Roman oppression. And if he says, yeah, pay taxes, then they, he'll lose his audience because the audience is going to say, well, you're just, you're just a, a champion for Rome. We want to be, we're looking for someone, we're looking for a messiah, we're looking for somebody to liberate us from Rome. Uh, and and if he, But if he says, no, don't pay taxes, well, then they've really got him because that's sedition, and he'll end up on the cross sooner than he needs to. And so he, they ask him this question, and, and uh, they frame it in these kind of, Either or situation, and he takes it and he twists it and he just says, I don't accept your frame. And he says, You know, look at this coin whose inscription is on it. Well, it's Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. And what the genius of that statement, and I think it's informing Paul's thinking here as well, is that he's saying, This is this world, that's monopoly money. It really doesn't matter. Give Caesar his money because that has that money has no currency in the kingdom. That I'm bringing. That's, it's, it's irrelevant. It's like trying to pay your groceries with monopoly money. It's, it's, it's worthless. It's useless. And what Paul's saying is kind of the same idea. Look, this, is, this isn't the world that we're inhabiting elsewhere. He says, your citizenship is, is elsewhere. And so that's the kind of thinking, I think, that goes into the Why do you pay taxes? Because you're not taking it with you. It's, not, it's got no currency elsewhere. So. so. And the phrase after that
1: You give honor to whom honor is due. That, to me, is a difficult portion for a Christian, too. So are we the ones who get to determine who's honorable? That's the working out of this thing. I don't think he's honorable, so I'm not going to honor him. Or do you honor uh, Mr. Trump? You honor Mr. Trudeau, whoever the list is, simply because they're in a position and place of authority, like... How does this work out practically, honoring those doom honors too? Um,
2: <laughs> I think that when it comes to more difficult people in government um, who who really like arouse that kind of like really deep emotional response in us, right? Like, no, that's wrong. Um, that person is like evil, like that is not godly. Um, I think in the sense of that it becomes challenging to honor them, um, but I think it just really boils down to our allegiances to God, and the fact of the matter is is that he has placed us um, believers as being subject to authority, and so we don 't uh, being subject really just means we recognize our place on the hierarchy and not like one hundred percent absolute obedi- like brainless obedience right and so when it comes to mr trump it 's like he kind of. You treat him like you would treat yourself, right? Yeah, you recognize that he's doing whatever, not going to say anything about that, but like for difficult people, you outdo one another in showing honor, right? And I think that is what reflects God's glory and reflects Jesus, right, is the Christian's ability um, to not be swayed by stuff that's like temporary, you know, political leaders are temporary. Um, and so we, we display God's love and his glory by being subject, by honoring and respecting them, but not being brainless in obedience.
1: Yeah, this whole walking out of our faith at a level where we are willing to even honor people who we may not feel are honorable. We, bl- we, we give water to people who we don't think deserve water. I think that applies to government, too. So. I live in a house with one wonderful lady named Donna, but almost every night she yells at the television, (laughs) and this is what she yells at them. It's Prime Minister Trudeau, not Trudeau! (laughs) Like She feels we have a responsibility to honor our leaders, Um, and sometimes... I think we drift from those things. So, Logan, you're holding your mic. Does that mean you've got something to yeah. say? Here.
3: Um, I would absolutely agree with Pastor Don and the fact that, yes, we do need to honor, you know, or even like Alyssa said, like Mr. Trump, Mr. Trudeau, we, we still do have to honor them. And, like, I, and this is more of a question I'd like to ask to the table if I could do that. Um,
1: So, you can ask a question, then you've got one final question, and then we're gonna let you go home. Sure. So, is your question gonna be as hard as
3: hers? I don't think so. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And so, the question that I had, I guess maybe Dr. Martini would be able to answer this, because it kind of quickly goes back to the taxes. Um, And so, I totally agree that yes, like, pay what Caesar is Caesar's, because this is not our permanent home. Like, that's absolutely true. But when we talk about honor and we talk about application, like, isn't it honoring to our governments to follow the law and pay our taxes? Like, isn't that an, isn't, I I would say that Paul is giving us an application here to say, like, it may be hard for you to honor them with everything, but by simply paying your taxes, you're paying your dues, you're paying your honor to the government, and that's a way to even submit to them. And I'm wondering if that's, like, something that would be said here.
4: Yeah, I think, I think think so. uh, I think so. It's, uh, I think it's honoring is in the same way as paying taxes. The, the honor that our prime minister has, he has because he is part of a system that is an impermanent system. That's what Alyssa was like. So, insofar as we function still on this plane, in this world, insofar as God's kingdom has not yet come, we are still part of this kingdom, the kingdom of this world and as Paul said, as much as it's in your power, you live at peace here in this context. So, you know, follow, follow the laws, give honor to who gets honor. Um, they won't have honor in the next kingdom because this position doesn't exist in the next kingdom, but while you're in this one, pay your taxes because The taxes won't exist in the next system, but they exist in this one. The honor doesn't exist in the next system, but it exists in this one. So while you're part of this temporary existence, live it out in such a way that you can be peaceable. And as it says in in the first Peter passage that Alyssa commented on, then the hope there is that you might even win them over to Jesus to be part of that other system. So don't be conformed to the world,
1: but be at peace with the reality that you have to live your faith out in the world. One last question. Find the simplest question you can.
0: I don't know if you want to hear this one. Okay. (laughs) Where do babies come from? I'm just joking. I'm not actually going to do that one, but that is literally one. <laughs> okay, so because you guys were talking about obedience and submission, it looks like this is where that came from. What is your interpretation of obedience versus submission? Which is more involved?
1: Yeah, so yeah. So which is, is this obedience or is this submission and what's the difference? That's a good
4: good thing to end on, and I think I'm going to let the president of the Bible College explain it. This, this is submission, and even, so we'll get into technical, but there are other words, there are Greek words for obedience that are much stronger, that are not used here. The word here is, sub, it is submit, and it's really literally and repeated throughout here is it's subordinate. Um, it's, there is this sense in which God has ordered a chaotic world and put into order things. And the, the literal word here that's repeated about five times is they're all variations of this ordination, um, this being ordered under. And so it's finding your place in, in the society. And we, again, in Canada, we're much more equal, you know, and if you got more money, you can have higher, you can, you can be higher respected. But in Paul's world, it was an honor and shame society. And your place in society, which is, is and so many people from Asian cultures will be more familiar with this, but your place in society was dictated to you before you were born, and it depends on if, what your status is and all these kinds of things. So your order, order really mattered a lot more to, to Paul's world than it does to us. But he's saying, be ordered in the right place. These guys are over you. Don't seek to be over them. Well been fun we know you enjoyed this teaching from the neighborhood church from our pine house location here in saskatoon saskatchewan to touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car you can text the word pine house to 306 800 5296 there you can fill out our digital connect card or if you want to give it a distance or maybe you've been working weekends or just can't make it to the city text the initials TNC to 705-230-8977. Through that little portal, you can give or tithe or even give to missions. For any more information about The Neighborhood Church, you can check us out online at theneighborhoodchurch.org. God bless you and have a great week.